Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host, Sinan. And I'm Jamie. And I'm Ben. And the music is by Jordan. There you go. We've finally done 100% of the things right yeah. this time. Absolutely perfect. No notes. That's it. Right. Okay. That's the episode then. Right. I'll yeah. catch yeah, you in go. a couple of weeks. <laughs> Down, yeah. Downhill from here. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, my mind's just stuck on that anecdote Ben told. <laughs> 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 like, Sigma grind set. Bad shitter. <laughs> uh, no, nothing really matches up to that level of chutzpah as far as I'm concerned just shitting yourself in a pub toilet and going around and just asking to see the manager and going what, what are you going to do about it you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of Centris who basically acted like Jeremy Corbyn shat their pants for them. yes 100% pure <laughs> pure IRL fucking columnist behaviour I love who it who put this shit in my pants it's like it wasn't the fucking pub, mate. I got news for you. <laughs> well, I mean, we saw we saw the fucking prime example of that today, didn't we? With like fucking super Tanskis, like the you know the Israelis did nine eleven. Oh my oh. god! I, on, I only believed that because I because I was a Corbynist at the time. It's like, yeah, it's like, Jeremy <laughs> Corbyn shat my pants. That's a bold. That's a bold gambit. That like, although yeah. like Jeremy Corbyn supporters were absolutely anti-Semitic, and I know because I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least she's proved her point, I guess. I mean, that mm. grift has got to be grinding to a like dramatic halt, right? Well, you'd hope. She she blocked me today for tweeting a photo of a rally grifter at her. <laughs> <laughs> she. She blocked me ages ago for some bullshit. I don't know. Uh, people block me for all sorts of nonsense, usually because I call them a twat or something. Aye. Yeah. I like I, to I, keep it simple. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to take it back to the, the, the good old days. and just I, I just turn up occasionally in somebody's mentions and just call them a fud, because I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> just call them Elmer Fudd. Um, uh, right. Uh, so we're supposed to be doing a podcast episode. Well, uh, apparently, yeah. Yeah. So, we're back in Turkey, everyone. We're back. Way. Welcome home again. God, that was a great first name for an episode, wasn't it? Welcome home. Coheed and Cambria reference as well. You know, just wins all around. But we're we're doing the deep dive. Well, we're going to try and make it a deep dive into Turkey in World War II. Because get this, it did a lot of nonsense in World War II. And also had a lot of nonsense done to it. Mm. That was the style at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a famously quiet period in human history, that one. Yeah, everyone was very chill, famously. It was all good. But Turkey had quite a lot going on, as you might imagine, being as strategically placed as it was between everything and everyone. Basically, Europe was shitting Turkey's pants for it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a rare period. Fantastic. So... Last time we talked about Hatay. Hatay is like a specific episode in the whole, what I would call, balancing act that probably wasn't going to work for much longer, so it's probably a good job the war wrapped up when it did, if you're Izmet Inonu. Mm. Yeah. So we talked about Hatay, but we need to talk about, like, what was Turkey's situation right before the war? It, Turkey adopted a position of armed neutrality, which... Heavily implies that it had weapons, but I but I decided to do a bit of investigating. It turns out basically Turkey's entire weapon stockpile for its army was just a mix of stuff from World War One and stuff it bought from the Brits and the Germans. 
Oh, great. Benefits of neutrality. You see, you can just buy... In fact, Turkey very specifically quite early on asks Britain for 150,000 rifles. While Britain's an actual belligerent in the war and Turkey's neutral. <laughs> oh, not to mention that the, the Brits had already like lost a massive amount of their supplies, probably with Dunkirk. Yeah, so then Turkey was like, uh, but there's like some British foreign minister who's like, oh, the Turks have asked us for 150,000 guns to stay neutral, which is like such a fucking bizarre threat. <laughs> like, they can go, they can go to France and get them them fucking selves. Yeah, get, to get on a boat to Dunkirk. I hear that's perfectly safe and good. But actually, the funny thing was, I was looking into the Air Force, and the Air Force was actually relatively modern. About half of the airplanes were actually, like, modern at the time. And they were all domestically produced, so Turkey had its own domestic military plane complex. Once again, just punching above its weight in aviation stakes constantly. Yeah, aviation stuff was really good. Like, surprisingly. And then... The Navy was dog shit, but as I point out, that's because it's the hardest thing to understand in Hearts of Iron, so why invest in it, really? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But the, uh, you might, if you're a student of World War I history, which I know everyone is here mm. on this podcast, and oh, all yeah. of the listeners. I'm yeah, definitely, everyone... a, definitely a student of things. That's, that sounds like me. Yeah. So their sort of, their actual, like, heaviest ship was, um, was a ship called uh, Yavuz. Which is kind of funny because it you might know it by a German name, Gerben. Huh. It's the it's the ships that basically got the Ottoman Empire to enter World War One. Oh. It's still around in nineteen thirty eight. In fact it's around I think it was decommissioned in like it was sort of removed from the military in like nineteen fifty in nineteen fifty. Yeah, it was decommissioned in nineteen fifty. Jesus. So it'd been around for what? Um 36 years? Christ, and it was I mean, probably the largest ship Turkey had for a while. So it, it had a similar career to a lot of Turkish politicians, seemingly. Yeah, the Yavuz, you know... Wait, was it was it around longer or for less time than y the actual sultan it was named after? Yavuz Selim, let's see. How long did he rule the Ottoman Empire for? He only ruled for eight years. Oh, so, incredible. So, <laughs> a strangely short period of rulership for a Turkish ruler. Although he, he had a longer stint as Prince Governor of the Trabzon Sanjat, which was, uh, what was that? That was 23 years. So, you know, he did better as the governor. The governor. Yeah, the governor. <laughs> but yeah, so it gives you an idea of like how creaking and terrible the Turkish military was. But there's also some domestic stuff. So we're going to do some domestic stuff because I find this very funny. So I was talking about like domestic stuff. There's one particular domestic thing I want to talk about because it's incredibly funny. So Turkey actually decided, Isma Enonu was like, you know what, we need a parliamentary opposition. And so in 1939, he decides to kickstart democracy again in Turkey with the Mustakul group, or in English, the independent group. Yes. <laughs> Turkish Mike Gapes here at last. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful one. Basically, the gimmick was, he was like, okay, so we're going to have like 35 independent MPs form a group. You know, they're going <laughs> to get to be a group. And they're going to get to be the opposition. But they're all members of the Republican People's Party. But they're just not allowed to vote on internal party stuff. Because they're not <laughs> in the party. That sounds like some model UN shit. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like fully complete like bullshit because it was like 35 MPs as an opposition out of a parliament of like 550. Yeah. Like Jesus. it was it was full like baby shit. It was it wasn't even 550. It might have been more, but like it was just like, yeah, okay. But basically it, it looks like look, like the other guy, he tried to do democracy way too quickly. Let's just ease into it with an independent group. You know, Mike Gate, I'm Mike Gapes, the MP for Katahia North. You know. <laughs> They, I don't know why that's now Ilford. Doesn't make any sense. But you know, Turkish Mike Gabe's just ease into it. Ease into yeah. it. So all of this is happening in the background of Turkey practicing having an opposition and Isabel Inonu being determined to see it through. <laughs> which I which I always find interesting. But the the fun stuff, right? The actual like foreign policy stuff, that's where the real fun happens in uh, in World War Two. So we talked about, I guess we'll say 1939 is kind of a start point for World War II. Yeah. Why not? So we had the annexation of Hatay. We did a whole episode about it. It was fucked. Mm. But it was followed up by a tripartite pact between Britain, France, and Turkey. Where basically they agreed to give Turkey a bunch of guns and to defend it if it were attacked. So already that's... we're off to a strong start. Yeah, that's nice of them. Yeah, it's it's good. It's not really anything particularly interesting or like, you know, sort of... There, there is like a specific demand of Turkey in here, where they're like, if the war spreads to the Mediterranean, Turkey will intervene in the war, specifically mm. in the Mediterranean. You will note that the war did spread to the Mediterranean. Yes, yeah, quite yeah. notably, yeah. Yeah, they didn't join. <laughs> they reneged on the deal. <laughs> Shit. Just not feeling it. Yeah, yeah, they were just like, I mean, really, do we want to do this? It feels like a lot of work, you know. <laughs> yeah, we said we would, but the vibes the vibes are fucked, honestly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they really were. Um mm. Yeah, and I, I I suppose also like having, you know, Axis powers butting up against the Western border would be a bit of a deterrent in yeah, the beginning as well. I think the assumption was that they wouldn't do any of this bullshit in the Balkans. And then mm. they could intervene safely because there'd be a whole Balkans in between. Turns out that didn't happen. So in 1940, um, alerted to the fact that the Germans might be approaching, they mm. decide to do a, a martial law order. So we're going to be encountering the concept of martial law in Turkey a lot because, get this, Turkey loves declaring martial law. Mm. Oh, it's like its favorite thing to do is to declare martial war. So law, martial war is another thing it loves declaring, but in um, <laughs> <laughs> but martial law is one of its favorite things to do, or ohal, which is um, what the modern equivalent is, and they always do it province by province. Now, usually when we're going to be talking about ohal, they'll be doing it in like the southeast a lot. Yeah, but in this case, for once, they did it in like the west of Turkey, the bits that are specifically like bordering Greece and Bulgaria. Uh huh. And they basically put um, a sort of military governor in charge of the region. So these regions were effectively under a military governor. Ah, military government, yet another thing that Turkey does seem to quite like. Yeah, and their military governor um, was a gentleman who looked like this. You're going you're gonna to love this. This is the military governor of the Western provinces. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's what he looked like. That, that guy, the guy, that guy looks like he's either like a Frankfurt School philosopher that had to flee Europe during the war, or like a guy who wears bow ties to meetings. He definitely <laughs> wore bow ties to meetings. 
He was um he fought in the Balkans War and stuff like that. It's a gentleman called Ali Rza Arthunkal. Um and he uh he's not really an important character in this. I just found this picture funny. But he was the head of Turkey's military police and then he became defense minister of Turkey. Uh. Yeah. yeah. And actually, we might have to talk a bit about the various prime ministers Ismet and Anu had, because they all turned out to be pieces of shit, actually. Huh. He really couldn't pick a guy. Damn. Yeah, I mean, one, to be fair, one of them, uh, the football team, the rival fo- of the football team I support in Turkey, their stadium is named after one of the prime ministers, so I don't really like him for that reason, among the racism as well, and the mm. fascism. <laughs> also, he was a banker, so... Oh, God. Yeah, it's a really guy's just racking up a high score, like, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not great. But we'll come to him. He'll definitely be a character that we talk about in this. Oh, that's a car driving by that's really fucking loud. I love that. I love to edit that out. Yeah, yeah. So it's always, it's always a good, always a good podcast when Paul Walker makes an appearance (laughs) (laughs) for Beyond the Grave. Genuine F's in the chat for that one, but. But yeah, so Turkey decides in order to maintain its neutrality, it needs to expand its army. So they've decided we're going we're gonna to have 1.5 million soldiers. We're going to find them. We're going to find them. We're going to find every like, remotely able-bodied man and give them a gun, essentially. That's always a good idea. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Basically, the idea was if we need to protect our... Sorry, it's 1.3 million. I should be accurate. But basically, the idea was there's no guarantee that anyone's actually going to leave us alone. So mm. we're going to probably need to, to, you know, organize ourselves and prepare ourselves. And this is sort of Turkey moving towards a war economy without a war. Yeah. Which is, which is good. That's fine. Uh, I'm sure that was completely fine and good and wasn't controversial at all. Certainly no young man will confront Isma Inunu about it in a 1960s election. No. And it certainly won't result in um, the, this young man saying, you let us go hungry, and Isma Inoni replying, I, yeah, but I didn't let you grow up without a father. Oof, Which nice. was a pretty, yeah. That's a good burn, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, see, Turkish politicians seem to be allowed to insult the electorate. Yeah. I, I, I mean, any politicians are allowed to insult the electorate. Most of them are just cowards. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I personally believe if British politicians... Like, do you know, do you know what it was? If Gordon Brown had doubled down on calling that fucking dickhead a bigger, oh, if mm, Gordon yeah. Brown had just stuck the fucking heed on her, we'd be living in a utopia by now. He, yeah, yeah, like I don't think it's unreasonable at all to to make that claim. Yeah, like he would have won the twenty ten election, <laughs> like mm. on that alone. Yeah, he would have fucking won because Cameron didn't fucking win it, did he? <laughs> like he no. he bas- he basically managed to not shit his pants, kind of, and even then he kind of fucked it anyway. But yeah, it was yeah. I I think there needs to be because basically this entire like twelve years we've lived through has been for the benefit of that of the bigot lady. I fucking forgot yeah. her name, Gillian Duffy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck her, honestly. Yeah. Get her to yeah. hell, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, she's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if we could keep that in, but we might have to beep it. But okay. <laughs> I can, put you, I can put you in touch with a good text-to-speech website. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'll just use the text-to-speech brackets Italian I have on my stream. Yes. <laughs> 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 We're going to have to bleep that out as well. 
I mean, yeah. I, I kind of meant like you know, say something different in text to speech, but oh yeah, you know, I might push for Praxis Cast to just replace me doing like libel and threats with the same thing, but said by a robot, by an Italian <laughs> robot. I don't yeah. know what has to be Italian. It was just the funniest voice I could find on the thing. Oh yeah, we've we've got that on ours, but no one ever, no one ever. Yeah, uses it. people really like using it to do anti-Italian racism, which is what it's there for, to be fair. So yeah. <laughs> Like, what what's wait. great is I used to, I I used to know someone who streamed with the Italian text to speech. Sorry, we're off topic here, but um, it was like if someone found a way to if you typed like uwu owo and then just repeated that over and over, it sounded like a police siren for like four minutes. <laughs> no, okay, we de- I, oh no, I can't let that become public knowledge. No, <laughs> I don't think it works anymore. I think uh, we tried it like, but back we're back in World War Two. We're yeah. back. No more Italian. Well, actually, to be fair, we're specifically going to be talking about Italy in a bit. Oh, so, boy. yeah. Did, did Rome have robots, though? That's the question. <laughs> Mussolini going. Mussolini's actually the one who did the text to speech voice. Little known fact. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, uh, you, how much do you two know about uh, the Mediterranean part of the theatre in World War II? Like, do you know? Do you know why? What Germany said the justification was for going into like Greece and shit like that. And no. I don't know that latter part. No. Yeah. So Italy under General Obaldo, I believe it was, <sighs> decides to go to war with Greece. Italy predictably shits its pants and gets pushed back into Albania, which is very embarrassing because Greece had like fourteen guns between all of their soldiers. Yeah. Okay, but it was Italy. Yeah, it was Italy. Italy showed up. They had the tanks that kept catching on fire. They had the airplanes whose wings flapped like birds. It was not a good. It was not a good fucking show from the Italians. Subject of the next Hearts of Iron DLC. I can't wait to see how fucked Italy are. <laughs> just like it's just like they should just have a modifier called famed Italian military competence, and it's just like yes. negatives all the way down. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, it was the leadership that was the problem. But anyway, I'm glad they had that problem because fuck Italy in this particular time period. Yeah. But Britain had sent an expeditionary force, well, planning to send an expeditionary force to Greece to fight uh-huh. the Italians. Because their whole thing was, the whole British thesis on the, uh, on the axis was, the Balkans is the soft underbelly. And they were, like, almost correct. They were almost correct. but. Uh, it's kind of correct. Yeah, it turns out that, like, the actual soft underbelly was Italy itself. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah, welcome to Italy, folks. This has become, like, the Dunking on Italy podcast really horribly. (laughs) All Um, podcasts become that eventually. (laughs) That's true. Every podcast seems to have some Italian bit related to it now. I don't know if that's just, like, the form lends itself structurally to insulting Italians. (laughs) <laughs> or, or what the deal is, but it does seem to happen an awful lot for us. The German armies start, they basically intervene on Italy's behalf because Italy shat the bed, right? Mm-hmm. And the German government at this point says, well, uh, you know, we're not interested in invading Turkey, so here's a non-aggression pact. And actually, there's something we'll talk about in a sec, which is Hitler sends a letter, a personal letter to Izmet Inonu. Oh, boy. A personal letter. Basically, Turkey... Is, is receptive to the non-aggression pact because it means that it will not get invaded. 
which is nice. You don't want to be invaded, not yeah. by the army that is steamrolling basically everyone at that point in time. So, you know, that's pretty good. And Hitler was, and Hitler's whole thing was like, no, no, I'm very respectful to the Turkish nationalists because I secretly think they're fucking cool as shit. Actually, it wasn't even that secret. No. He was quite, he was quite publicly an admirer of Turkey. He was like, damn, I wish we could do that. And then proceeded to do that, but like, even worse, which is <laughs> impressive to find the gaps in the Kemalist project to fill with that, really. But they did it. And he's like, no, no, German troops will never come within 85 kilometers of the Turkish border. You won't even see our troops. You're not even going to know we're there. It's fine. But is there anyone who's like, no, no, but for real, I don't want Bulgaria and Greece. Otherwise, I'm going to declare war on Bulgaria. Like, he, he was very clear that Bulgaria not be allowed to enter Greece under any circumstances. Hmm. And they did not, uh, would you believe. Bulgaria actually agreed to that because... Hitler did not want to go to war with Turkey because he wanted them on his side, and also chromium. Oh, yes. Yeah. But yeah, the letter is... Uh, it's quite something, because he's, uh, he's quite like polite and nice and sort of like, no, 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 we're just... We're not, we're not doing anything, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, it's not, it's, not that, it's not that big a deal. Uh, Isba Inaru, uh gives a reply where he's like, I, I, you know, the press interpreted as... Like, no, I'm ready to protect Turkey against any attack, and we're not supporting Germany. Hitler was not spoken to like that by anyone up until that point, pretty much. Because up until then, everyone would be like, okay, yes, you can have the Sudetenland, it's alright. Just don't have any more. Don't have any dessert. You don't get dessert, which is the rest of Czechoslovakia. Mm. Would you believe he had the dessert? Yeah. (laughs) It was actually, actually, that was kind of one of the big problems, if if people recall. Bit of of an issue, that. Yeah, coming back for seconds, yeah. Yeah, I simply would not have. Um, And, you know, but that's getting a bit Candace. It was her name, Candace Owens, who was like, the problem with Hitler was that he did it to other countries. So, like, if he just stuck to Germany, it would have been like, it's like, do you realize how insane that sounds? But, but yeah, so like the German, the German attack on the Balkans, it not only increased pressure on Turkey to sort of have to deal with the Axis directly, diplomatically, it also increased this sense of urgency on the part of Britain, who were like, hey, yeah, do you want to join the war, you know, on our side and open up mm. this front in the soft underbelly, please, because you have a million soldiers, also we'll give you guns. We'll give you a lot more guns. And... Their whole thought was, well, the army's big enough that they can at least, like, stretch the Germans, so then at least they might have some problems. And the other thing was that this whole soft underbelly theory, which didn't make any sense, really. Mm. Like, had Turkey joined the war, it probably would have caused a big problem. Because so the Allied position kind of shifts throughout the war between, like, we want Turkey to join, we don't want Turkey to join, we want them to join, we really want them to join... No, seriously, when are they going to join? To, ah, we don't really mind if they join. Kind of the course of the war, really. A lot of it was like, Winston Churchill specifically was quite keen on Turkey joining. Mm. Having, having been bested by, by them <laughs> yeah, several, yeah. on several occasions. Of course, we'll recall the original meaning of Churchillian to mean a Gallipoli-style pant-shitting. which was a thing that happened a lot of Gallipoli actually if you read any books about it a lot a lot of the British well a lot of the British and Anzac deaths were due to people falling into latrines wonderful and not statistically insignificant amount and (laughs) yeah because it was liquid 
um, in case anyone's wondering. Demanding to see the commanding officer about this. <laughs> Yeah, commanding officer, I'm sick. Of, I'm sick and tired of my shits being liquid and going into the latrine. We need rations with fiber in them. I'm serious. Although I think that a lot of their wells were just poisoned, so yeah, probably ex- explains the shitting, really, doesn't it? That's basically that, really. The Brits really wanted them to join and kind of were consistent in that position, whereas America were always like, I don't know, Turkey joining. Is there a chance they don't give the land back if they retake it from the Germans? And given the explicit positioning of the of the country during the Hatay dispute, yeah. yeah, yeah, there might be some chance it wouldn't do that. Yeah. Also, America's reluctance was that like this is clearly a country that's not really in a fit state to fight. Mm. Probably not, anyway. So we come to the first of uh, many disasters that happen in World War Two generally, but this is the first one that involves Turkey specific. There's a ship called a cargo steamer called Refa. Refa means like welfare. It is a ship that is carrying military personnel from Mersin in Turkey, which is like in the southeast-ish kind of port city, to Port Said in Egypt. Now, Turkey had ordered uh, some ships from the British, because who do you go to for ships? You go to the British. The Brits know ships. That's the one thing they know, right? Mm. But the Brits insisted that like, the Turkish come and collect the ships themselves. Oh. Because if there were British crews on the ships, even if they were Turkish flagged, they weren't, you know, they would be considered enemy combatants by the Germans and the Italians. Oh, all right, got you. Right? So they're like, well, you know, we, we are having, and obviously the delivery of these was, uh, was delayed because of war and also because the Brits were like, wait a minute, an awful lot of Turkish politicians do seem to be very pro-German. Like, do we should? Is it wise to give a potential enemy, you know, like double its navy? <laughs> is that is that a smart idea? Um, it wasn't like double, but it was like in terms of modern ships, just like something Turkey had never had. And so they wanted to do the training and the delivery in sort of British-controlled territory, so that the sh- when the ships left, they were Turkish ships, so they're neutral, so no one attacks it. Right now, yeah. this ship, the Refa, is. A neutral ship. So the, the whole idea was that they they sort of, they, they were going to use the ship and it was, it, they assumed it would be safe because it's a neutral ship. Who's going to attack a neutral ship? Only an idiot would attack a neutral ship because it would probably cause a war. Mm. Now, there were some developments as this sort of ongoing drama about the submarines and the destroyers was going on, which was that Turkey and Germany they signed the Friendship Pact, which upset the Soviets in particular. Yeah. The Soviets were really upset by Turkey doing a Friendship Pact with the Germans and then selling, agreeing on the, in the Friendship Pact to sell uh, chromite to the Germans. Because chromite is, uh, let me, uh, oh, my partner's an engineer, she'll kill me if I don't know what it was useful. Engine parts. Engine parts. <laughs> uh-huh. Engine parts, I would think. Um, you would have used it for engine parts. Germany, uh, and a lot of the territory it had occupied by that point, didn't have any chromite in it, really. Not very much. So, and Turkey has, like, most of it. So, as you might imagine, it's an important market to access if you are building, say, a military based on lightning-fast movements led by light tanks. Engines, it turns out, pretty important in that situation. Uh, And you you need chromite for that. 
so what's a guy to do but to do a deal with Ismet Inonu? Now, Ismet Inonu's sort of justification for this is, one, yeah, my army's kind of institutionally pro-German, and they have all of the guns. Mm. So I don't... doesn't want to get, you know, he doesn't want to have to have the conversation. They would probably not have, like... (laughs) They'd probably not have, like, actually cooed him, but they would have sent a man round to be like, it's over. It's just, we're going to do a... We're just going to move you out, and we're going to get our guy in, and then we're going to join the Axis. Would have been a fucking catastrophe. Didn't happen. And part of it is just because, like, they didn't want to get attacked. So they're like, well, this is a neat way to stop ourselves from getting attacked. Germany has never violated a pact of friendship. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> certainly, I've certainly never heard of the molotov Ribbentrop pact. It endures to this day, I hear. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> Ironclad, that document. Yeah. Well, let's not talk about iron too much in the context of World War II. That's going to get real iron packs and such. Um, let's, not, let's not get too deep into that. Basically, this is kind of our backdrop for it. And the ship is, it's on its way. It's on its way to Egypt. And at about, uh, basically during the night, they get hit by a torpedo, which was fired by a submarine. Basically, the ship was fucked. This, this, this missile completely fucked the ship. There was basically no way to really like launch the lifeboats and stuff, uh, and so people. You gotta remember, this is like the forties, and this is quite an old ship. So they had like wooden doors on the toilets, so they'd like rip the doors off the toilets to float on them. Fucking hell! Stuff like that, yeah. And there were also British officers on the ship who went missing and stuff. Like it was, it was a fucking fiasco. Like a neutral ship was sunk in the uh, in the Mediterranean during a war, and. Uh, of the 200 people on the ship, 168 died, 32 survived. Fuck. That's not good. That's not good. Now, here's the thing. Who do we think did it? Ooh. No. It could have been any party to the conflict, I guess. Literally anyone, except the Soviet Union, whose ships weren't allowed to leave the, you know, the, the Black, Black sea, sea. yeah. So the Soviet Union, Uncle Joe Innocent. He's not going to be innocent of the next ship-related disaster, by the way. That's, that one is kind of an Uncle Joe. But this one, at least, Uncle Joe innocent. Now, obviously, everyone blamed their enemy in the war. Yeah. So the Britain's ambassador to Turkey was a gentleman called Hugh Natchbull Hugerson. What the fuck is these names, by oh the way? Oh, God. The, the... Can, can... White people love to be called Hugh, whatever the hell it was. Natural. <laughs> Hugh Natural Hugoson. Fucking delete, delete yourself, mate. That is like, some fucking name. Like, what the fuck isn't? Na- what the fuck is a Natchball? Yeah, as I, as from Harry Potter, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I mean to be fair, you know it's not from Harry Potter because it doesn't contain a racial slur. Uh, <laughs> fucking well, qu- Quidditch ass English, name. He's an English character. Hmm. Oh yeah, well he well yeah, and I suppose he would be white, but it, with a name like that, I guess. <laughs> like, it, to be fair, it sounds like a, a racist caricature of an Englishman somehow. Yeah. Yeah, but that <sighs> would be good. Oh well, yeah, yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying anti-white racism is bad. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not possible, but if it were, anyway, if you want, <laughs> if it to, were, you, it would always be morally good. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to know what Hugh Natural Hugerson looks like, he's the second on the left in this picture that's currently entering the uh, the notes. That is a very bald-looking Britishman. Mm. Mm. He does look like the type. Yes. And, and exactly like a foreign office type, too. Uh, wait, hold on, hold on. I've just... 
Hold on, I've just I've just stumbled on this guy's Wikipedia page. He is best remembered as the diplomat whose secrets were stolen by his Kosovar Albanian valet and passed on to Nazi Germany. <laughs> oh my god! Fantastic. Oh my the god! One thing he didn't want to happen. <laughs> yeah. Also, his nickname was Snatch. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking incredible. Ah, fucking incredible. Dua Lipa's ancestor there stealing from him. I don't know that it's Dua Lipa's ancestor, but it would be very funny. Um, incredible. So he he um, he blames the uh, the Germans and the Italians. It's like, well, it was obviously the Germans and the Italians. Who else would do it? Mm, like, it's not, like not it's not like Britain has a significant naval presence in the Mediterranean, particularly in Cyprus, particularly near Egypt. Definitely you know, not. No, never no. wouldn't exist. And they would absolutely not be in any way interested in staging a diplomatic incident that would distance Turkey from Germany and Italy. Yeah. Now, the Germans came out with their line, which was, it was a French warship. It was the French. And they got confused. Uh, they confused and they were confused and thought it was Egyptian. And Egypt is technically a party to the war because Britain and so on. Uh-huh. It's quite a fucking ball lake, really, in that regard, isn't it? But... Yeah, they were like, it's Egyptian, shoot it. And I suppose given, I don't know, what was Egypt's flag at the time? It can't have had a crescent moon star on it. Probably would have had like an, an ensign on it or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, but like no one could really figure it out because no one could see a ship because it was a submarine. And huh. the last accusation that I find quite interesting is that the British were specifically accused. Oh, yeah. Because they sort of didn't want to give Turkey the ships or the military equipment. Or to get Turkey to jo- as a false flag operation to get Turkey to join the war. Fantastic! It does yeah. sound does sound like a Brit behaviour, to be fair. Yeah, there's this sort of classic thing that happens with like incidents involving Turkish military, which is that some mid-level Turkish military officer will hear from a friend what the actual story is, <laughs> and that actual story will be wrong. At least as far as we know, this is wrong, because. There was a group captain who heard that, like, oh, you know, it was a French warship that sunk it because he heard it from a French officer in Beirut that that had happened. Oh, no. <laughs> He'd heard from his Vichy France colleague um, <laughs> that it was a Vichy French ship that thought it was a free French ship. Oh, no. Because at the time, Vichy France and Free France were fighting in Syria. And so they were like, aha, it's actually this. But, but here's the thing. Italy admitted to it. Italy admitted it was them, like, long after the war. They were like, oh, yeah, it was us, by the way. Fantastic. Essentially, Italy admitted, basically, not really admitted, but they released, like, they released naval records, you know, after the war and stuff like that, you know. And they were like, oh, it turns out our ship was in this area and shot that ship that was in that exact area. So maybe it was us. Maybe they, maybe they just wanted a win. Maybe they wanted to rescue the reputation of it and say, we sunk something in the Mediterranean. Yeah, they, they, their whole thing was like, oh, well, I mean, uh, you know, it's unclear as to whether we did it or not. Anyway, here's a diagram of, of our ship, the, sh- the torpedo trajectory and where that ship would have been. Um, <laughs> inconclusive as to whether the Italians did it or not, I believe. Um, but that Italian ship that apparently did it was sunk a year later in roughly the same place. Oh, nice. It's like poetry, it rhymes. What goes around comes around. Yeah, very George Lucas moment there. Hmm. Only with much fewer offensive accents. Although, to be <sighs> fair, we better not let George Lucas know this is happening. 
Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> want to hear George Lucas's like attempt at a Turkish accent. Oh god, or an Italian one even. Or an Italian, yeah. The Ita- I mean, to be fair, the ones he did attempt were ill-advised to begin with, mm, and they came off really bad. <laughs> like I like the prequels. Mm. I don't like the Namoidians <laughs> so much, mm. or Watto. <laughs> no, or the Gungans. Really. Or the Gungans, yeah. The Gungans are also not good. But Jar Jar being a secret Sith Lord, I buy that. I'm into that. But yeah. So the Turkish government decided to compensate all of the people whose families died, even though, arguably, in a rare, ca- a rare situation for the, uh, for the podcast, this one's not really on the Turkish government, I don't think. No, no. This one, I think, I can safely say, probably not their fault. I mean, you could argue about what are they doing in the first place, going to Egypt to pick up some ships, but, like, what are you meant to do? There's a war on. Yeah, like, exactly. Don't you know there's a war on? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Could just have the ships dismantled and posted to them. Yeah, I mean, but remember, they'd be relying on Royal Mail to deliver it. <laughs> I'm just thinking that if the modern-day British state was selling naval vessels to Turkey, they would probably be getting them built in Turkey and then selling them back to them somehow. Yeah. Well, actually, this is the thing. Um, Britain has decided... I'm really pissed off about this, given... You'll see why. So Britain has decided to do an investment loan into Turkey's high-speed railway network. (laughs) We can't find the money to invest in our own fucking railway, but we found, like, two billion quid to give to Turkey. Amazing. And I'm not... Look, I'm not one of those why are we spending this money if we can't take care of our own people. But also... But also, what are we getting for that, like, two billion? We're getting a return on investment, presumably. Yeah. Mm. because it's a loan, but like, when am I seeing my share of that, motherfuckers? Anyway, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, so we come to the other com- Turkey-related ship fuck-up called the Sturma disaster. Now, I wrote that wrong in the notes, so I'm gonna change it real quick. But this is the worst civilian uh, ship incident in the Black Sea recorded, basically. Shit. It was a fucking disaster. So, let's let's set the scene. So, you will recall, uh, audience and uh, and fellow hosts, that that when Axis powers occupied a country or countries became our Axis powers, but a lot of these countries had substantial Jewish populations in them. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. they did not fancy sticking around an Axis-aligned powers. No, for reasons which should be obvious to us all. Yeah. And Britain had adopted a policy of basically trying to take Jewish refugees and move them to the British Mandate of Palestine. Yeah. That was an initial policy. Then they reversed the policy because they were like, oh, actually, this is causing what some might call communal tensions. Not, mm. not within the scope of this podcast, I'm afraid. There are plenty of communal tensions to go around. Just not those ones in detail. So the Sturma was a ship that was leaving from Romania to go to British Mandatory Palestine. Now, the geography heads among you will note that that requires a trip through something called the Bosphorus. Uh Uh-huh. Now, this is where things get a bit complicated. So the so the Sturma is a, is like a luxury yacht. It's it's like actually there's a quite a nice picture of it here. It's it's quite a quite a nice looking ship. It doesn't look as modern as you'd think. 
But then again, it was built in like 1890, I guess. So how modern mm. could it be? But yeah, it's quite a nice looking ship. It's a yacht, you know. It's carrying, I believe, 792 people. It's something like that. 791 passengers and 10 crew. They had arranged to go to British Mandatory Palestine, and it flew the sort of the flag of um, of uh, Panama, the Panamanian flag. You know, because that's the thing that all of the ships do. It's a flag of convenience, right? It's just you can have the Panama flag if you like. And they basically broke down outside the. Uh, they, they basically broke down as they left and had to be tugged to. Um, tugged onwards on its trip and basically turkey and britain were having to negotiate over like what the fuck was happening because the british government were like look you don't get it like turkey really wanted to let them just carry on and just be like yeah fuck it this is not our problem get them out of the black sea get them out of our way britain were like no 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 but like we don't want to recognize their visas to go to palestine because it turns out there were communal riots in palestine at the time Uh uh-huh for reasons we cannot possibly ascertain, um, lest we be kicked out of the Labour Party. Well, we can, um, <laughs> like, like, or lest uh, uh, you know. It's good to kind of phrase that ship has sailed. I guess, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, that ship has sailed for all three of us, I think. But yeah, the Britain had uh, Britain had basically done a white paper in like the late thirties, where they were like, actually, we kind of need to stop this policy of moving Jewish people to British Mandatory Palestine, because it turns out the Palestinians do not like that Mm. and got pretty pissed off about it. And British diplomats were like telling the Turkish Prime Minister at the time, Refik Saidam, a gentleman who very much looks how you imagine he would, actually. A lot of baldness going on in this period of time. He was, I think he's a doctor, he's a medical doctor. Yeah, you'd think he would have been able to do something about it, but there you go. Yeah, well, I think taking <laughs> what is the what is the baldness treatment? Um, oh, finasteride, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that would have gone down well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's him right there. Basically, Turkey and Britain couldn't really agree on what to do, and Turkey tried to send police onto the ship, and the refugees were like, "No, fuck off, a cab, get the fuck out of here." Fine. Then they sent. Uh, they finally managed to get some police on board. And basically the ship had dropped its anchor and they decided to like raise the anchor and attach it to a tug. And the passengers, as they were being tugged, were um, they hung up signs in like Hebrew and English saying, save us and stuff like that. And Turkish ships tried to, Turkish engineers tried to fix the ship so it could get the fuck out of there. Uh, they couldn't fix it. And then Turkey just decided, well, what are we going to do? We'll just leave it here. And then it turns out a Soviet submarine arrives Uh and shoots the ship with a torpedo. Oh, fuck. And sank it. What the fuck were they even doing there? Nah, well, it's in the Black Sea. Yeah, I know, but like, still. Now, (laughs) what were they doing there? That's an interesting question. It turns out the Soviet Navy in the Black Sea had been given a general order to sink all neutral ships in case the, the in case they were delivering weapons to Balkan ports, Jesus, yeah, they had been given a general order to do that, which is why there weren't many. You know, if they were in international waters, not like if they were in Turkish territorial waters or something, then yeah. it was sort of like 
Well, they're neutral. Well, although the Soviets were not keen on that position for a lot of reasons. But there was basically one guy who survived. It was a 19-year-old refugee who survived. Uh, and yeah, that is uh, that, that one's on uh, Uncle Joe, I think, quite badly. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. But yeah, there were obviously uh, there were obviously a lot of British uh, parliamentarians who were extremely furious about this, even though arguably it was the British parliamentarians' fault that the ship was stuck there in the first place. Mm. Now there okay, were but some... you can't be expecting like British people to like you know grapple with the consequences of their own actions. No, yeah, God, it, no. it's it's yeah. I, what, what kind of discourse could we start? It's ableist against British people to ask them to understand <laughs> consequences. Is that what we're fucking saying now? Yeah. Now, oh no. Now, of course, this is a huge disaster, and so it did require the comment of the uh, Turkish Prime Minister Refik Saydam, who said, and this is approximate translation: "We have done everything we can. We don't have the slightest bit of financial or moral responsibility." Turkey, and he goes on to say, Turkey can't be a subject to people who are not desired by others, referring to Jewish people, oh escaping, escaping the Holocaust. Turkey cannot serve the country for people who are not desired by, well, you know, you get the idea. Yeah. He said, he's basically said, we couldn't keep them in Istanbul because no one else wanted them. Which is, Yikes, which maybe. in the context of that fucking film that we talked about in, like, the first World War II episode is mm. quite, a, quite a fucking statement to have come out given what the state propaganda is about Turkey's role in World War II. Yeah. Absolutely uh. fucking insane. And, yeah, um, I believe uh, an armed Zionist group then assassinated the uh, Palestine High Commissioner for, uh, for doing this because... He, pro he was apparently one of the people who was like, please don't let them have the visa to come here. Also send the boat back. Or just keep the boat in Turkey. They didn't particularly care, I don't think, as the case was. But, yeah. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, I think it's possibly the largest civilian uh, ship disaster of the entire war. Right. And, and uh, like, apparently, pretty much, almost by accident. Well, almost. Well, almost. I mean, the Soviets did have a general blanket policy of yeah. secretly trying to shoot down... Well, I secretly, it's a submarine. It's re relatively secret, as we discovered earlier, who, who did it, until the Italians admit they did it. Yeah, it was a fucking... It is rightly called... Uh, I think the official name for it is, like, the Struma Disaster, which is a pretty... Underselling it, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It was, it was not... Uh, no one came out of that looking good, I don't think. No. As is often the case in World War II. So, in 1942, Turkey decides to... Well, there, there's a couple of things that happen in 1942. One, Turkey implements rationing. The Brits love it. The Brits are like, rationing, yes, finally! <laughs> like, the, the Brits are, like, applauding this. But yeah. it actually pissed everyone off, it turns out, rationing. And... I well, say rationing. It was snowflakes, more like the snowflakes just need to get over it. Yeah, there was a specific ration on bread, and basically, if you wanted to buy bread, you had to have the ration card, right? But the price was fixed by the government. Mm. Which, um, gee, the government fixing the prices of goods isn't that interesting? Might we benefit from such a thing in <laughs> in the modern day in Britain? I don't know. Who no, could say, well, man? 
I, I was say? born in 1949, and let me tell you, we wouldn't have stood for that during the war. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, all sorts of stuff was rationed. Stuff like sugar and olives and all of this sort of stuff. Olives in particular I find quite odd. But they, grow, they literally grow on trees. Anyway, it's not the, <laughs> not the point, I don't think. We have another incident of British accidental... Well, we don't think... We don't know. Well, we know the Italians did the other one, but... Britain decided accidentally to bomb part of Turkey, Mula, um, because Britain were aiming for roads, missed, and hit mainland Turkey. How far from yeah, mainland Turkey that, is roads? Um... So, I'll show you on a map. Uh, hold on, let me get a map up showing you Mula to Rhodes. This is obviously just the, like the north tip of Rhodes, but yeah, it's like 112 kilometers. <laughs> Jesus Christ, yes. That's quite a now, mess. Now, the British excuse was, there was bad weather. What are we meant to do? You'd think being British, they would be able to figure out there's the distance for you between the places. Yeah, it's not the it's exact not, place. I'm, if that map's actual size, it's not that big a mistake. Ah, this is true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one-to-one scale, yeah. Yeah, yeah. one-to-one scale, of course. But yeah, um, about 112 kilometers, I would reckon. It's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, bad yeah, weather, Br- though. You know, they, they dropped the bombs from space and there was a, a lot of wind, so. <laughs> wow, Stellaris really has poisoned our brains. Yeah. Yeah, they were trying, they were trying to kill yetis. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the British basically offered to pay compensation. They covered all the damages and paid compensation for it because they were, like, incredibly embarrassed by it. The one time shame has ever worked against a British person. Yeah, I was going to say, like, where did where did that uh, where did that instinct go? Yeah, truly, yeah. truly, it was our finest ever. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's uh, so Germany actually secretly begins to concoct a plan to invade Turkey, which means Turkey's paranoia about it might well have been justified. But the actual ju- reason Germany were worried was because they thought the Soviet government was on the verge of like losing control of all of its periphery, and that Azerbaijan would unite with Turkey, and Turkey would refuse to sell the oil to Germany. Huh. Complete hmm. fucking fantasy nonsense on, all, I know. on a lot of counts. Like, that's, that's, that's very, very Hearts of Iron 4 mod, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but like, you got to remember, like, we, we junk on like Uncle Joe for being like fucking, you know, Ubu Swan being paranoid. But like, yeah. Hitler was like a fucking lunatic. Oh yeah, completely. like on the like on the paranoia scale, he was a fucking lunatic. But obviously, now we come to a more I shameful. Mean, oh, sorry. If you give like the entire planet reason to hate you, that would make you kind of paranoid. Yeah. It's, is it paranoia or is it just self awareness at that point? Hmm. Turkey then decides. So ostensibly, the aim of this. So there's a, there's a thing Turkey levies, which is called the Varlukverkisi, which means the wealth tax. Now, we might hear that and go, ooh, a wealth tax. Sounds, sounds pretty sick. We do like a wealth did it tax all, Did it, by any chance, only apply to members of a specific religion? Yeah, a little bit. Ah, uh, boy. Yeah, so it was a one-off tax. Now, the real motivation behind it was to deliberately inflict financial ruin on non-Muslim citizens of the country. And basically to sort of... Basically, the, in the economy in Turkey... Like a lot of sort of Greek, Armenian, uh, and Jewish people were significant figures in the private sectors of the economy. Mm. 
not a fucking problem with that, right? That's it's called capitalism. You'd think they'd, you think the, you think a state that was so desperate to create these exact class conditions might well have embraced it, but of course, because racial element to it. Here we go. So the idea was to ruin them so that their assets would get picked up by sort of the people who were already wealthy in Anatolia and the sort of capitalists who came in from the Balkan War refugee stuff. And mm. basically, if you were non-Muslim, you would get taxed. Well, I mean, I mean, what's the right amount? Probably like twenty-five times more, depending on who you were. Jesus. Like, it, and and it was it was proposed by the um, the, the prime minister of the time, which was Shukru Sarajola, who is the um, who is the motherfucker who the stadium is named after. Now, he's also a banker, and he's also, incidentally, part of the class that would benefit from the asset transfer, quite specifically. Yeah, <sighs> nothing, nothing suspicious there, I'm sure. Yeah, nothing suspicious. And basically, it was targeting specific, in, uh, specific sectors of the economy. It just happened that all those specific sectors had a lot more non-Muslim people involved in it than Muslim people involved in it. Ah, who would have expected? What a, what a fucking what a fucking stunning turn of events that was, and the idea was to right. So the justification is we need to build a war chest, and so we're going to levy war taxes like it's EU four. Great, great fucking plan. That's how that's how modern states work. And people kind of saw it and went, well, this is the fucking Jizzy attacks, isn't it? Really? Yeah. This is a fucking even more destructive Jizzy attacks. Basically, just completely destroyed the lives of loads of non-Muslim families. Like, just every, basically every single one was ruined. Um, if, you, if you wanted to sort of, if you wanted like a statistical example of how ruined lives were, there was a, there was a significant increase in the number of recorded suicide, deaths by suicide among minority people in Istanbul. Fuck. Such was the fucking catastrophe of the tax upon their lives. And so, and if you want like an idea of like percentage amounts, right, like percentage of wealth that was being asked of people. It was literally a tax that if you were non-Muslim could be more than 100% of the asset. Jesus, man. Like, up to 250% in some cases. Recorded instances of. You couldn't, and there was no legal recourse, you couldn't challenge it in court, the law is the law, and you had to pay it within two weeks in cash. So you had to liquidate everything. Yeah, you, you literally would have to liquidate. And the thing is, the value of the asset may not cover the... Well, couldn't possibly cover, in some cases. It was designed not to cover some of, the, um, some of the taxes that were being levied. Now, if you happen to be a Muslim, it was probably about 5% of your net worth that was being taxed, typically. 5% is, you know, you, it's shit. You can probably manage it, right? Yeah. Not the end of the fucking world. 250% is... It's over. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you couldn't pay, you would then have to go and go to a labor camp to oh pay my. off the rest of your tax. God, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you would, you would get paid for your labor, like, that, you know, they would pay, but half of your wage went directly to servicing the tax debt. Right. Yeah. And about 5,000 people were sent there. There's all sorts of, like, Things about like older people and stuff like that. 
you know, paying younger people to go do their sentence. Because, like, if you're an 80-year-old man, how are you going to break rocks in Eastern Anatolia? It just doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, this basically completely fucked over massive swathes of the community in Turkey, of, of minority communities in Turkey. And basically, it was basically state confiscation of assets yeah. and then redistributing it to a preferred capitalist class. Yeah, there's sort of an echo of the, well, not an echo, I mean, like, so it rhymes a lot with it, is the, the treatment of Japanese Americans and, you know, their, their mm. internment and all the rest of it, and they had most of their assets taken off them and given to, like, white farmers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, it's, it's definitely in the same policy area. And in fact, Turkey had a specifically discriminatory, um, like, tax classification system where they would split people into four positions, sort of four categories, Muslim, non-Muslim, sort of foreigners who are not Turkish, you know, Turkish, you know, of Turkish citizenship, and then sort of people who converted, perhaps to avoid the tax. Mm. And, it, and you've got to understand this in the context of uh, Turkish press at the time were um, very anti-minority. Like, they were posting anti-minority stuff all the fucking time. Yeah. And so there was a lot of what we might call manufacturing consent, but there wasn't much consent to manufacture really because the public were more than willing to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. As it were, the consent had been manufactured. They were just sort of keeping the pressure on. And this is this tax was actually eventually quite unpopular because both unpopular internationally and uh, domestically. And Britain and the United States were like, Jesus fucking Christ, what the fuck is this law? Stop having this law. And then eventually they repeal it in 1944. Obviously, the repealing of the law is important because it meant anyone who was sent to a labor camp didn't have to pay the debt anymore, right? Yeah. So they get to go home. What home they have left is, uh, you know... And Turkish government said to Britain and America, oh, we'll give them their money back. Don't worry, we'll give them their money back. They didn't. They kept the money. <laughs> and this I mean this was a fiasco on all fronts internationally humiliating you know divided communities um, pissed everyone off basically because it's hard you know it's just a fucking disaster and the democrat party who eventually come into the scene one of the things they they capitalized on was how much of a fucking shit show the Varlik Vergesi was yeah a admittedly Given what happens on their watch in Istanbul, it is a bit of like, hey, they didn't do the racism competently enough. Don't worry, we know how to do the racism. <laughs> Typical liberals. But, but we will, yeah. we will come to that. Um, we will come to that when we come to it. Uh, I guess after the war. So that's kind of the main thing about the taxes. Now, obviously, Turkey has this sort of military institutional closeness to Germany. So in 1943, at Hitler's invitation, a bunch of Turkish military officers go to observe the German military. And they're like, yes, I'm very impressed by this. Yes. Um, incidentally, we might join the war on your side if you win the Battle of Stalingrad. Wink. You know, <laughs> that was 100% what the plan was, by the way. Basically, Stalingrad decided whether Turkey joined the war or not on the Axis side. Even though they'd been invited to all of this stuff by Hitler, they ended, you know, uh, there's the Adana conference, you know, the one where Isma Inonu and Ch uh, Churchill are in a train and, you know, they're just chatting along with each other, smoking their cigarettes. It's all very good. And obviously Cairo conference, they also attend that. Isma Inonu's kind of opening up to the Allies a little bit at this point. But he's like, you know, I would feel much more comfortable declaring war on Germany if they weren't on our border. Sorry yeah. to disappoint. 
you know? And basically that more or less wraps up the main action of the war. Obviously in 1944, we have what's famously referred to as the racism Turanism trials, which I think we'll leave to a bonus episode. And in 1944, sensing that the tide had turned against Germany, Turkey's like, we're going to ban chromite exports to Germany. Look at us. Hey, aren't we? Know. Aren't we being good? And obviously, um, the United Nations were being formed. The way you gained access to the United Nations was to declare war on Germany. So two <laughs> months before the war ends, Turkey declared war on Germany and did not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they, in a way, very successfully played the neutrality game. Yeah, in a lot of ways, a, a masterpiece of of playing the neutrality game in such a you know it's almost easy for Switzerland to play it. No one gives a shit. What are you gonna do? March into the mountains for what? Yeah, you know, <laughs> just go like, around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's just an inconvenience. <clears throat> Turkey's like important, strategically important. But yeah, they got to join the UN, and Uncle Joe was fuming and was like, "They sided with the Axis in the war. Why are we letting them into the UN?" Which I mean. Given the dealings they were willing to do with the Nazis, is it necessarily such a wrong thing to say? Mm. Not very diplomatically astute, though, I would reckon. Well, no, because Uncle Joe basically cancelled the non-aggression pact they had with Turkey. Uh And that spooked Turkey so much because they thought the Soviets would invade the Bosphorus that they ended up courting friendship with America. Uh Something, something that's gone very well for Turkey ever since, I'm sure. We'll yeah, it's definitely, definitely not led to any incidents or events or military coups. But the, one of the origin points, well, one of the justifications for it was that, uh, well, we don't know. Is Stalin going to invade us? The answer was probably no, to be honest. And to be fair, if you look at how Inonu conducted his post-war policy, there's some chance he, the, the closeness with America would have come eventually anyway. Mm. but that is all for next time I think I think this is a bit of a long one so I think we'll wrap it up there Cool. but yeah thanks for listening everyone we will catch you in the bonus we're going to talk about a premium instance of Turk Brain that I've been made aware of we're going to look at Dr. Oz and his run run for the US Senate where he is (laughs) essentially fucked it guess who fucked it wasn't me <laughs> anyway everyone we'll catch you on that if you want to be on that go to the uh, go to the patreon and we'll see you there bye yeah. see ya see you everyone